Welcome to iTalk. For Brookside Optometric Group, I'm Brent Critchfield. Picking out glasses seems like it should be a simple thing, right? Find a frame that looks good on your face, put the right prescription lenses in them, and you're good to go. But not all lenses are made equal, and understanding the differences between them can be complicated. In this episode, Dr. Bob Melrose and Dr. Kurt Skinner will explain a bit of the technology behind today's plastic eyeglass lenses. Later, we'll visit with Dr. John Fuji from Brookside Optometric Group to talk about how he's been involved in the community of Stockton over the years. But first, here's Dr. Bob Melrose with what's new in eye care. Hello, this is Dr. Bob Melrose uh, talking to you about the innovations in eye care and eyewear in America. And the latest thing to come out now is the Facebook equivalent of the old Google Glass glasses. In the old days, uh, back way back when, back in 2014, 2015, the Google Glass uh, came out and it was in a frame that was a little bit bulky, a little bit geeky looking, and was pretty darn expensive and never really caught on. The concept of the glasses was to be able to record things by just touching your, your frame to see uh, record what you're looking at in the world, and it just never got off the ground. Facebook is trying to alleviate that. They are partners with Ray-Ban, the sunglass company. So these glasses will let you look like Tom Cruise and Risky Business. They come in about one-fifth the price that the Google Glasses were, and they have some pretty impressive uh, technology with it. They have a 5-megapixel camera, two of them actually, three microphones, four gigabytes of storage, and they don't have that big bulky look for them. You simply tap the glasses, and the audio video that you're looking at will be captured. They have a small LED light on them that will let people know you're be, they're being recorded, and in theory, that'll make people more comfortable. And Ray-Ban is, and the uh, Facebook company has promised that they will not use these to monitor anyone or misuse your privacy. Now, we've heard that song and dance before, so we'll see if uh, people feel comfortable with this or not. But the old Google Glass is out. The new Facebook Ray-Ban look is in. And we'll see if they catch on this time, if they're a little bit more attractive and with the more attractive entry price. Anytime you're making a purchase, any purchase, having a bit of education about the product you're buying can help you make an informed decision. Since your glasses will be on your face most of every day for the next couple of years, you should know as much as possible about what you're buying. One topic that is widely misunderstood and is also really hard to find information on is about the materials that are used to make the lenses in your eyeglasses. Dr. Melrose and Dr. Kurt Skinner sat down recently with the goal of explaining the differences between various materials and how to separate marketing hype from actual technology. So be forewarned, some of this gets a little bit technical, but it's worth understanding if you wear eyeglasses. So we're talking today with Dr. Kurt Skinner. He's going to talk to us a little bit about the newer materials that are available for our uh, glasses and spectacles. So Kurt, tell us a little bit about the uh, evolution of uh, lenses technology. Well, the ophthalmic uh, lens industry has moved uh, far past the age of crown glass. Uh, Original glasses were made from glass glasses and crown glass was the material and uh, traditionally uh, very clear, clean material, but we've moved into plastics in the early 70s. And uh, my understanding was it took some time to catch on because people didn't think that you could really make a quality ophthalmic lens out of a resin. 
So uh, when it did catch on, people found half the weight, uh, much, much, much less uh, risk of trauma if uh, you were in an accident and the lens shattered. Uh, glasses is horrible for that sort of situation. So plastic uh, was an improvement in that area and it did block a bit of ultraviolet rays as well. So that was the standard. CR39 was a plastic for a long time and still uh, used today, but uh, after about the last 50 years or so, we've moved on to some of the other lens materials now. So tell us a little bit about those materials. Uh, what, what are plastic lenses? What is the next generation of plastic lenses all about? Next generation uh, improved the uh, index of refraction of the lenses uh, industrially and uh, for use then for us in glasses because uh, the compression of the material allows you to make uh, the same prescription with about half the thickness and about half the weight. So when we transitioned from, uh, C from crown glass material to the CR39 traditional plastic, we lost about half the weight of the of the glass and then when we transferred into polycarbonate that's used today that's about half the weight of the original CR39 and it still is blocking a hundred percent of ultraviolet rays but the biggest advantage of polycarbonate is that it is shatterproof it is uh, shatterproof and bulletproof uh, in, in fact it was used originally in, in some industrial applications some of you might know it as Lexan but polycarbonate is shatterproof, so it's an excellent material for, for children's safety, and it has the advantage of the uh, ultraviolet blocking ability. The, uh, with the uh, higher index materials, do they still offer those same features for us? Those, then, yeah, the high index materials now even thinner and lighter than polycarbonate materials. So high prescriptions uh, have an incredible benefit from uh, the new high index material lens materials and uh, significant thinning for our advanced prescriptions that people are unfortunate enough to have to um, wear. So we get uh, a great reduction even compared to polycarbonate uh, when we move into high index plastic. With the higher index materials, then, a patient can opt to go with a material that, again, the regular plastics cut the weight down by half. They can be cut in half again with the newer materials. I, would, I can't imagine that uh, anyone wouldn't uh, notice the improved comfort of the pair of glasses and the higher materials over the course of the day, regardless of the prescription size. Oh, exactly. And especially in our uh, valley environment, when you have um, varied conditions with uh, heat up to 110 degrees and and the cold, uh, you want their glasses to be as comfortable and as light as possible. Um, as the uh, prescription increases, uh, the, the, there's optical properties of the lenses that change too. So it's a much more uh, comfortable um, and, and, and visually uh, acute prescription with some of these high index materials, especially now that we have uh, improved coatings for those uh, high index materials the uh, improvement in anti-reflective coatings and the uh, application of those coatings on the surface of the lens uh, allows uh, nearly 100% of light to transmit through the lens and not get reflected or absorbed within the lens and are reflected off the surface of the lens. So when we incorporate these anti-reflective coatings, 
Um, you, you still retain the benefit of 100% of ultraviolet blocking. You get a lens that is cosmetically and professionally a lot more appealing. Uh, it's essentially uh, invisible when people uh, are, are looking at you and talking to you. You don't get all the reflections off the surface of uh, surrounding lights and, and uh, sunlight into, off of the surface of the lens. So it's a lot more comfortable for the patient, a lot more professional presentation. And those coatings can also have an, an impact on the photochromatic properties of the lens too. That we have we have uh, several different types of, of of photochromatic lens materials now and applications to where the lens will change from light to dark with certain sunlight exposure. And, and, and these have been improved in the speed of their transitions and the extremities that they do darken in the, in the light and behind some of the windows and windshields of our cars. Some of the car windshields block a lot of ultraviolet rays that traditionally make some of those uh, transition into darker, darker lens tints. And now uh, we've moved past that with some of the uh, sunsick materials too, that they will actually uh, darken behind the windshield of a car. If you've, if you've had transitions before uh, didn't darken, uh, now that's possible even behind the windshield of a car. So all these materials have that kind of uh, availability and capability as well. Now, you mentioned that the original lenses, the uh, plastic lenses, at first uh, they were... Uh, there was a resistance to them because people thought you could only get good lenses if you make them out of glass. Then we were able to prove them wrong with the uh, CR39 plastics, the resin lenses. Has there's been a, a similar a hesitancy by people to go with a higher index? There, the people have embraced it pretty well, and, and it really helps to see visual examples of it. Uh, it's it does cost a little bit more. Uh, it's it's an advancement uh, in, in, in the options that are available, and the advancement of the technology is a little bit more expensive. But we do have samples that we show people in the and the difference in the same prescription between CR thirty nine and a high index material is amazing, and uh, it's it's just much more appealing for the patient. So basically, even with lower prescriptions, you will notice a decrease in the thickness of the glasses, and you will notice a decrease in the weight of the glasses. Obviously, the higher the correction, the more you're going to notice this. But even people with lower corrections will get a, a comfort benefit from these. Is that right? Exactly. And there's a really niche material that you don't hear a lot of uh, out there, but uh, it's called Trivex. Trivex is a material that's kind of between a CR39 and a polycarbonate. So it's, it's, it's great because it does have that shatterproof ability, the, the ultraviolet blocking uh, property, and it is thinner than plastic and uh, similar to polycarbonate. But um, it, uh, it, it's a great prescription for those uh, moderate to lower kind of, uh, it's a great lens material for those lower to moderate prescriptions. Uh, but once you start to get into the advanced prescriptions, you have to go with a high index material. And, uh, and, the, and the property for all you techno geeks out there, it's the, it's the, in, rel, the refractive index is, is the term that we give for the index of refraction of these lenses. And so that's why we've come up with this terminology of a high index lens. And, and we're getting up to the point of about 1.74 index of refraction. And uh, that's, that's an incredible uh, accomplishment in the uh, ophthalmic industry to be able to pass on to patients. 
So I'm I'm willing to guess that if you are uh, watching the TV and you see an ad where you're going to get a pair of glasses for 79 cents and a free exam and a puppy, that uh, these uh, these places are not offering these types of materials. You you could count on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just one of the little differences in what goes on because I think it's uh, it's very confusing. I think for the consumer because you hear, oh yes, we have plastic lenses too, or Another uh, industry uh, insider trick is to trademark some of these lenses and say that, uh, you know, you can only get featherweight through us. And that's true because that's a polycarbonate lens that has been trademarked with a different name. But the reality is it's the exact same lens. Same thing, exactly. Yeah, trademarked. That's, that's, a, that's another point is that it's, uh, it's difficult to keep up with all this. So we, we have to uh, keep uh, educating ourselves and the staff gets uh, regular education from the labs that we're associated with to bring them up to date with all the advancements that are available, when you'd want to use what type of lens. And uh, so they have a good understanding, a good grasp of how all these behave. Uh, it's uh, even best to talk with them, uh, even compared to the doctors of Brookside sometimes. <laughs> So basically, a plastic is not a plastic is not a plastic. There, there are differences in the plastics, and uh, it uh, takes a, a, the education of a staff member from Brookside Optometric Group to uh, explain the differences. Well, thank you very much. Hopefully, people out there will uh, have a little bit more knowledge when they seek out either our care at Brookside or elsewhere to uh, know what to ask for and to know why they're asking for it. Oftentimes, I think people think that there are... Uh, Upgrades are simply upgrades to uh, feather the nest of the doctors that are recommending it. But the reality is, is that there's a huge functional improvement with these things that are uh, palatable. You'll see it, you'll feel it, and you'll know that it was worth it. Very good points. Well, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Dr. Melrose. Community involvement is a common thread that runs between all of the doctors at Brookside Optometric Group. Each of them contributes in their own way to making Stockton a vibrant, thriving place to live and work, in spite of the bad press that our community seems to continually receive. In this next segment, Dr. John Fuji talks a little bit about his long history in our community and some of the efforts he's been involved with to make our city just a little bit better. I'm here with my partner, Dr. John Fuji. John has been very active in our community for a very long time. And he's had a few hats he's worn in our community, and I just wanted to take some time to talk about that a little bit. So welcome, John. Oh, thank you, Bob. So uh, one of your hats I know in the past has been you worked very closely in the First Five program. Is that right? What's that all about? So the First Five program was started by a tax initiative that Rob Reiner, the old meathead and all in the family, um, passed in 1998. So it was a tobacco tax that is supposed to fund programs for children ages zero to five. And each county in the state of California gets a portion of those tax dollars to spend for those programs uh, locally as well as the state, which has programs that it could spend at the state level. And what types of uh, expenditures or what things did we spend our local money on? You know, we spent our local money, and I have... Well, I haven't been on the commission now for a while, but when I was on the commission, we spent the money on improving daycare and childcare in the area. So we had a lot of unlicensed, untrained daycare providers, and we looked to improve their services they deliver by training them 
um, so that they wouldn't just pop a video in and watch the kids. Uh, they actually did things that were educational and developed the children. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, uh, on top of that, you I know with your uh, kids, you do a fair amount of coaching. Is that right? You know, I, I coached um, my children's basketball program either through YMCA or the or the local church. Um, so that's um, one of the things I just did to kind of keep them active. And it's it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. It's uh, it's hard when you lose, but you know that's not all the that's athletics and sports are all about winning and losing. It's kind of like developing their competitive nature and just getting them to get out and run around and exercise. So tired kids are happy kids, and it's also uh, it's fun to it's fun to win, but it's also important to know how to lose too, because life isn't always about winning every time. Oh, I agree with you, and you know it's about giving your best effort and. You know, you know, just learning how to work with other people, trying to develop a teamwork. I think those are important qualities that translate well into life. Oh, agreed, agreed. And then very recently, uh, we opened up our front page of our Stockton record, and your name was very prominently displayed discuss, uh, discussing the uh, issues of masks, vaccines, things like that. Tell us about it. Um, yeah, the... The headline on that is actually kind of embarrassing because I'm not Dr. Fauci. <laughs> um, so what happened was the reporter for the record, Laura Diaz, um, had interviewed me on certain uh, civil rights issues that came up regarding social justice or racism. And um, just because of timing and whatnot, I, I always um, ended up getting interviewed late. Um, so she wanted to get a community perspective on what, I guess, patients or people in the community were having as far as reservations getting the vaccine. And so I, I just gave her my take on it. And then in the online version of it, she actually had a fact check thing on there, which I thought was um, very good. Um, it was different than the newspaper article. So it pays to not only get the the hard copy, but the the uh, electronic copy of the record, it sounds. They're a little different. They're a little different. Um, you know, but those are basically my opinions. I mean, I, I totally get it when um, certain patients or certain people express their concerns over how quickly the vaccines were developed. But I really do believe that if we want to get to some semblance of what life used to be like pre-COVID, we all need to reach some level of herd immunity, and the quickest way to achieve that is by getting vaccinated. And I know at Brookside, we have all of our doctors uh, vaccinated and probably about 70% of our staff. There's still a few holdouts, but then again, you can't force anyone to put something in their body. Yeah, no, I I, I understand that and respect that. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get there. Now, you mentioned something about the... Uh, uh, civil rights issues and whatnot. Now, you're uh, very much involved with the Japanese American Citizen League, right? You know, I've served as president in the past. I'm um, currently serving as the vice president of uh, social justice or the civil rights um, portion of the Japanese American Citizens League. It's it's an organization. Well, it's an organization that um, is the second oldest civil rights group in the United States. Um, 
it was responsible for redress, which is the reparations that they paid for the Japanese Americans that were incarcerated during World War II, which was a violation of our civil rights, um, or not mine particularly, but my some of my relatives. Um, they've also, you know, expressed concerns and been involved in other issues regarding violations of civil rights. And lately there has been a bit of an uptick in the uh, uh, racism against uh, any of the Pacific Islanders, uh, Chinese, Japanese, and whatnot. So I'm sure that the uh, need is quite still quite strong. It, it is. I mean, it's just unfortunate that racism at any level against anybody exists. But it, unfortunately, it's sadly human nature to some extent. We're always going to have pinheads out there. There's no way around that. Sadly, that's true. So uh, it sounds like you've been involved in some pretty uh, important uh, areas for our community. Now, you're also uh, president of our local society for the uh, COA, California Optometric Association, at, during the time that was very instrumental in getting an exhibit built for the Children's Museum. You, well, um, yeah, a long time ago, I was the president of the San Joaquin Optometric Society, and during my presidency, we initiated that, and I believe it was finished a few years after I was done being president. Um, God, that exhibit's pretty old now. I haven't seen it at least recently, simply because my my kids have out, kind of outgrown the Children's Museum of Stockton. But I think it's it's a great educational museum for children, and it's very inexpensive. And really a wonderful way for kids to spend an afternoon. It, it is. It is, and it's... Um, they've got a lot of great tools in there. They update it periodically. I, you know, I haven't seen it since they've reopened, which was relatively recently. No, I, I always tell people that uh, Stockton gets a bum rap. There's no question. But when you look at what we have here in our community, the people that we have here in our community, and the facilities and the activities that are possible, we really do have a very uh, wide variety of. Uh, avenues for people to find entertainment, education, and spend time with their kids. You're absolutely right, Bob. I mean, the Children's Museum was funded by a lot of local businesses, uh, a lot of uh, very instrumental families, um, longtime Stocktonians that were involved in that. Um, you know, I, I was thinking back when we were building that, um, I believe um, a number of the Eberhardt family members were on it. Um, there were some members from the Spanos Corporation that were involved in it. Um, the Crane family was involved in it. Um, so it, it's it's just truly a, a really great museum for children. And it's, you know, it's very low key. It's, it, it's age appropriate and... There's a lot of activities there pre-COVID. I'm not sure what they're doing now, unfortunately. Well, I don't think anyone really knows what anyone's doing right now after COVID. But I just want to say that one of the things that has been a, a joy for uh, my wife Rosie and I with our practice is we have a lot of doctors in our practices, 11 of us right now. And we uh, obviously spend most of our time taking care of patients and whatnot. But virtually everybody in our practice is involved in some capacity in the community to try to make the place a better place to live. And with your resume, with uh, working with the Japanese American Citizen League, 
your coaching of your kids, First Five, the Children's Museum, there's just no question that uh, your presence in Stockton has left uh, a mark that will uh, uh, continue on uh, for quite a long time. Yeah, thanks, Bob. But uh, I'm not doing any more or than anyone else in the practice there. I mean, I, I know you're involved in the Rotary and uh, Alzheimer's and then I believe Red Rhino, um, among other things. So uh, I probably am just uh, <laughs> part of... The bigger collective, I guess, would be the best way to put it. But I'm, I'm, you know, I think we're truly blessed in the sense that we have had a number of doctors that actually care and participate in the community and try to make a difference. So I've often told my kids that very few people can change the world. Uh, a, a Bill Gates does, a Stephen Jobs does, people like that. So we don't have the power to change the world, but all of us have within us the ability to make some type of contribution that will make uh, the communities we live in and the uh, uh, populace around us just a little bit better and a little bit happier. So well, I agree. I mean, yeah. you know, change doesn't have to be worldwide. Change could be as simple as making someone in the practice, someone in your household, someone, you know, around the neighborhood just feel better. True, true. Well, I, I applaud you. I thank you for all your contributions to the community, and I thank you for your time today. Thanks, Bob. That's it for this episode of iTalk. We'll be back with another episode soon, but in the meantime, we'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or you can find it on our website at brooksideoptometric.com. We'd also invite you to visit us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can stay up to date on everything that's happening in the office, as well as receiving eye care tips and information. Thanks for joining us. And on behalf of all of us at Brookside Optometric Group, we hope you can see well, be well and thrive.